Uh, We're starting a new series this morning. We're going to be doing an eight-week series on the Psalms. We're calling it A Summer in Psalm Springs. And as you can see on on the background here, uh, we're trying to Jedi mind trick everybody into thinking that it is tropical uh, in in the place that we live here. But on a day like today, praise the Lord, right? Um, We are going to be in the book of Psalms. Uh, It's in the Old Testament. If you still have one of those old paper copies of the Bible, uh, if you open it up, it's actually hard not to be in the Psalms. It's right in the middle of the Bible. There's 150. 50 of them. Uh, this book is a collection of poems, but more specifically, it's actually a collection of psalms, uh, excuse me, songs. The, the word psalm means a, a melody. These were lyrics that were meant to be sung by a choir. So the next two months, think of it like choir practice. We'll all go on tour together at the end of the, the summer, right? And, and we'll see what, how it happens. Uh, this is not... now. You think about an old hymnal that just had a bunch of different songs kind of randomly put in there. This is not just a grab bag of songs. There's an intentional design and order to these psalms, as we'll see. But we want to talk about the power of a song. Um, Many of you know the uh, smash hit Wizard of Oz. Uh, The the song Over the Rainbow was written by a man, E.Y. Harburg. I love that approach to a name. I want to be go by uh, J.B. Frankino from here on out. Uh, He says it this way, and I love this quote. He says, words make you think thoughts. So when someone speaks to you and you hear those words, it makes you think the thought of what they said. Music makes you feel a feeling. When you hear an orchestra, a symphony playing, it causes a feeling to happen. But when you combine the words that are spoken with music, it becomes a song. And he says, song has a unique power. A song makes you feel a thought. A a song makes you feel a thought. It's combining the feeling and the thinking. So when you read lyrics, it's one thing, right? If I just read somewhere over the rainbow, way up high, right? Those are words. It makes me think about that. But But if you hear the song, somewhere over the rainbow, way up high. So if somebody was good, if I was a good singer, that would really give you a feeling, right? Uh, With the orchestra swelling. And it causes us, listening to a song does something different with us. It helps us feel a thought. And, And we see this power in the Psalms. The Psalms take us on this roller coaster ride of our emotions. And and we see even in within the same psalm sometimes we see this roller coaster happening. Sometimes I wonder if David was like had multiple personalities going on or something. When you read the book even just Psalm 13, look at how David starts. He's in the pit of despair. He says, "How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way?" How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. This is cry to God in despair, but then he pivots. And all of a sudden here in verse 5 he says, but... I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. From the pit of despair to elation within the same six verses. And, and you and I know this, right? Our lives are, are, can be an emotional roller coaster. And song can sometimes help us process like no other. 
So Jill and I met long distance, and the first time we ever FaceTimed, uh, I remember afterward, uh, just I was just on cloud nine, and I literally went from my uh, iPad over to the piano, and I just started playing songs. I've just seen a face I can't forget, the time or place where we just met. She's just the girl for me, and I want the whole world to see we've met. Die, 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 die. But then it could be very easy if she could send me a text like an hour later. I'm like, oh, what does she mean by that? Maybe she hates me, right? And all of a sudden it's love stinks. Yeah, yeah, right? Love hurts. And I'm afraid that I'm going to be all by myself. Because we know that one is the loneliest number one. So you can see this, this whole roller coaster that we can get on and the way the songs, songs help us process through this. And the psalms in our Bibles are a unique gift that bring us in our full range of motion to God. And brothers and sisters, God wants us to bring all of our emotion to him. He wants us to bring our anger to him. He wants us to bring our sadness to him, our joy to him. He wants us to bring our confusion and the dry seasons to him. He says, come as you are. Amen. So there's a power in the psalms, in the songs. There's also a a very intentional design to these psalms. Uh, We know they were written by a variety of authors. We know David, and he wrote almost half of them, and, and, but there's many more who did. Uh, Moses and Solomon have both wrote a psalm or two. Asaph, the sons of Korah, and some of them are not given authorship. We don't know uh, where they came from. But these authors span the time of the Exodus with Moses all the way to the exile period of, of Israel's history. So we hear songs of elation as they've been delivered from the Red Sea and brought into the Promised Land. We also hear dirges and songs of lament as they're weeping in captivity, and many of their people have been slaughtered. These these psalms are, are, are an anthology of the people of Israel's history compiled together in, in, this, in these books. And actually, this, the book of Psalms, 150 of them, are actually brought into uh, five books. There are five books in the Psalms, and this is very intentional. Uh, because for the for the, the Jew, for the Israelite, uh, their, their, their word of God was the Torah which was the, our first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And this is very intentional. These five books in Psalms are riffing off of the first five books of the Bible. In fact, we're going to see this morning, as we start with Psalm 1, the, the way it starts out of the gates is to be that we are, that the Jewish people were to be those who meditated on the Torah, on those first five books, the law of God. And we're going to see at the end of each of these books, one of the ways we know that a book has ended is they have a very similar refrain, not word for word, but it's similar to this. May the Lord God of Israel be blessed forever and ever. Amen. These books aren't categorized like by, well, these are all, the first book's all the happy songs and the second book's all the sad songs. It's not that obvious. But each of these books tells us a unique story and is very intentional. So our approach to this series for the next eight weeks, we're going to be looking at these eight major categories of psalms. Uh, We're going to be highlighting these eight, wisdom, lament, praise, royal psalms. And each week we want to be looking at this type of psalm because, because here's the hope. We don't want to just feed a man, right? We want to teach the man and woman to fish. We want each of us to be able to engage God's word, engage the psalm. So when you come across a wisdom psalm or a psalm of lament, you have some tools in your tool belt of how to read. Uh, in your uh, sermon notes this morning, in your bulletin, we have um, some links to uh, some YouTube videos done by the Bible Project. Um, they're not actual links. If you click on it, nothing's going to happen. But it tells you how to get onto YouTube, and uh, the Bible Project has some really cool tools. Uh, 
an overview of the Psalms and how to read the Psalms. Just another way to, to be able to equip us. Today, we're going to zero in. We're going to focus in on the wisdom Psalms. These Psalms are, are instructive. They're practical. They're, they're made for us to be able to use in day-to-day life. Um, they're the most straightforward kind of Psalm. And, and you're actually going to hear similar, if you read the Proverbs, I would say the wisdom Psalms are sort of the Proverbs of the Psalms. They have very similar uh, language. Um, they're short summaries on, on our experience and, and, and kind of how life generally works, just like the Proverbs. There's three types of Psalms that, that we see. There's an experiential Psalm. This is the, the guy who's at the end of his life, a little bit of pepper in his beard and his hair. Uh, he he's, has some years under his belt, and he says, here's what I've learned, kind of like Solomon in the wisdom book of Ecclesiastes. Then we're going to see character Psalms, like Psalm 1 this morning. Like Proverbs, here's how one ought to live. There's some sketches, some portraits of what the, the unrighteous life looks like that's not following after God, and the one that, that is righteous, that is loving God. And then finally, there are ethical psalms. These, these psalms deal with, they address the hard questions of life, sort of like Ecclesiastes and Job, uh, addressing the questions of why is there suffering in the world, and why is it sometimes that bad things happen to people that we thought were good, and why do good things happen to sometimes to people that we think are, are bad. There are many other psalms. There's a couple other wisdom psalms that you can, you can check out, and, and our hope is um, Man, in our, we have a Bible reading plan that we would invite you to join with us in. Um, they're out in the, in the foyer when you first come in, or you can go onto our homepage, and there's a big button for the Bible reading plan. And each week, we're going to have several psalms, the one that will be preached in the, in the sermon, but then also other psalms in that category. This week, we had five or six wisdom psalms to be able to get that range. We would invite you to join us uh, in, that, in that reading plan. Uh, conveniently here, Psalm 1, which is where we're going to start this morning, um, is designed to tell us how to read wisdom literature. So it's, it's a very good place to start here at the beginning. Um, it's a character psalm. It's going to show us two ways of life and how to walk in the right one. Uh, so we're going to do, remember, this is supposed to be sung together. Now, unfortunately, and I know you're bummed about this, we don't have the original melodies for these psalms. So we can't sing this this morning, but I would like to, to declare it together. So if you'd stand with me, if you stand with me, I want to read this psalm out loud in, in unison as we declare uh, God's truth from his word. So let's, let's read this together with me. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Amen. You can have a seat. You can have a seat. Good job, choir. So we look at this psalm and we see, what is it talking about? Well, what does it say at the outset? He says, blessed is the man. The biblical concept of of blessed is is one who has found fulfillment in their lives, one who is satisfied and happy. They have a complete well-being, that that their lives are, are, it's the good life, right? So the question here is, how do we live the good life? How do we live the life of contentment? And who does he say is the one who's blessed? Well, what does he say in verse 2? It's the one who delights in and meditates on 
the law of God, the law of God. So Psalm 1 is, is basically talking about the, a concept of meditation. I think that's the main idea in this psalm. And Tim Keller, uh, a great preacher uh, that I listen to regularly, he had a, a good outline and a few examples I'm going to be borrowing from today, just so you know, I'll give them back to him at the end of the, of the sermon. Um, so we're going to look about this with meditation. We want to say, what is meditation? Um, what, uh, what does meditation look like? What does meditation offer? And then finally, what does meditation ultimately point us to? So let's look at this together. First of all, the principle. What, what is meditation? Um, and meditation is uh, one of our, what we call a spiritual discipline. Uh, these are things that we are called to as believers in God, followers of Jesus. Things like prayer and fasting and reading God's word and fellowshipping with other believers. Uh, it's, a, it's a discipline. Uh, but for a, a lot of us, this word might come for, with some baggage. Even some of us heard that word and you're like, okay, what's he getting into? What kind of weird stuff, voodoo stuff are we getting into? What did he bring back from Haiti, right? What's, what's going on here? Um, but we, so we want to distinguish what we are saying and what we're not saying with, with meditation. There's a difference between Eastern meditation and biblical meditation. Eastern meditation says you're supposed to empty your mind. You kind of, you feel that kind of, that humana, 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 you know, pal, palms are open and you're in some weird yoga stance doing downward dogs and things that even with my new hips I still can't pull off, right? That's not, that's Eastern meditation. That's not biblical meditation. Whereas Eastern meditation is about emptying your mind, biblical meditation is actually about filling your mind. It is filling your mind with God and his truth. Eastern meditation says center in on yourself. Whereas Western meditation says center on the person and truth of God. Eastern meditation is inward, internal. Biblical meditation is external. So there are two words in the Hebrew that sort of describe what, what we're talking about here. The first one, the first Hebrew word is hagah. And it's actually an onomatopoeia. You know, like one of those words that sounds like a word, zip, bing. Those kind of words. So this was a word like that. It kind of made the sound. And it was talking about a low-pitch muttering. So it's, it's summertime. We've got the bears out. And this would describe when a bear is eating a salmon. Okay? And it's gnawing on that thing. And it's going... Har, 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 har. That, that's hagah. Right? It's how some of your spouses eat. Uh, despite all of your... Pr- Jill gives me the one eyebrow. And that's when I know it's time to close the mouth while I'm eating. Right? <laughs> Well-trained, doesn't even have to say a word anymore, right? Yes, sweetheart. The other word is, is see ya, see you later. To ponder, to observe, to absorb in thought carefully and thoroughly, to converse over. So you hear in this, there's an out loud speaking and there's a, a considering, a mulling over. So we, we put these thoughts together. How many of you in the morning, uh, man, there's an attempt. I, wanna, I know I want to start my day off in God's word. The kids are going crazy. I slept in late. I'm rushing out the door. Uh, my eyes scan the passage. I read it, right? And now I'm out the door. I'm just kind of hoping that through some kind of osmosis, uh, this will penetrate in my brain and kind of, I don't know, make life go well today. I don't know exactly how that's going to work. Um, I, I love this quote from a Christian brother back in the 1600s. His name's Thomas Brooks. And he had this to say about meditation. He said, remember that it is not hasty reading, but serious meditation on holy and heavenly truths that make them prove sweet and profitable for the soul, to the soul. It is not the mere touching of the flower by the bee that gathers honey, but her abiding for a time on the flower that draws out the sweet. It is not he that reads most, but he that meditates most that will prove to be the choicest, sweetest, wisest, and strongest Christian. Beautiful words. Meditation, in other words, is slowing down. 
just like I always have to be reminded of when I'm preaching, because I just get going, right, on fire for Jesus. Uh, We need to slow down and ponder what we're reading, pour over it, focus on it, dwell on it, feast on it, like the bee on the flower or the bear with the salmon. And, And to read it out loud talking to God about what it's saying, uh, that we, we come to it and say, God, show me, what, what are you trying to say to me here? What are you telling me about yourself, about myself, about truth, about reality, about how to walk as your child? And, and I want to say there's a power to speaking these things out loud. And I'm not talking about some weird, like, you know, we're going to kind of, uh, you know, kind of a seance or something that if we chant it, it's going to have some magical, uh, you know, summoning. No, we're just, you, you know, for me, a lot of times when I'm just thinking, my, my thoughts don't end at a period, right? It ends in that dot, dot, dot. But to be able to say it out loud, to hear it spoken, uh, to, to sometimes it's journaling, it's writing it out loud. It causes us to finish our sentences as we're talking to God, responding to God. Uh, it's, it's a powerful thing. And, and this principle this, of Jewish meditation, when they would do that, they would actually speak lowly, kind of that muttering bear with the salmon, slowly and quietly. They would read these words of scripture and, and respond to, to God. Now, over time, here's what's going to happen. If we continue this discipline of meditation, the truth of God's word, in fact, God, the truth of God himself will begin to fill our minds. Uh, as we're going to face situations throughout the day and, and throughout our life, that there are things that are filling our minds, and the things that fill our minds shape the way we live. And none of us are a blank slate. Something is filling our minds, and that thing is shaping the way that we live. So it's going to be God and his truth, or it's going to be something else that fills our minds and shapes our lives. So why does the psalmist start here? Why do they start here in the Psalms uh, talking about meditating on God's, God's word? Why is this the way they begin? Well, I, I would say it like this, because God initiates. God is the in, great initiator in our, in our world. So God, at the begin, read the beginning of the Bible, right? What does it say? In the beginning, God. God was the one who was here first. He's the only one who's always been here. He's eternal. And God spoke reality into existence. He, he said, let there be light. He said, let there be man and woman and be fruitful and multiply. God speaks. God initiates. And it's us, his created, that respond. We do not initiate things with God. He initiates with us. The rest of the Psalms are our response to what God said first, meditating on his word, that God speaks and we listen that God initiated and we respond, that God reveals who he is and we just spend the rest of our lives dwelling on that uh, and, and pondering that and praising him for who he is and thanking him and crying out to him and rejoicing in him. Meditation is an answering prayer. It's reflecting on the word of God, the text of, of what he's revealed to us and then hearing from him and responding to him. So that's what it is. Then the second thing we, we want to look at is how to, how to practice that. So what does that actually look like? And, and Psalm 1, it, it speaks to that. First of all, what, we are, what specifically are we drawing on? Look at what it says in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, why does the psalmist here specifically say the law of the Lord? Why not God's word? Why not the Bible? Is he just talking about dwelling on the Ten Commandments? What's the, what's the deal here? Well, oftentimes when this idea of the law of the Lord is, is referenced, um, it, it can mean several different things, but at the heart of it, what we're seeing here is that it's speaking of God's word as authoritative. That, that God's word is authority. 
in our lives. It's the law. It's not a suggestion. It's not an idea. It's, it's law. And God, the creator, he's the one that gets to tell his created uh, what's up, right? And so what we see here, you think about it this way. If, if I was to hand you some blueprints for a house, um, if you were just like, oh, those are cool blueprints. That's really interesting, right? Or if you looked at those and said, I'm actually going to build a house, and these are the blueprints, these are the instructions for the house that I'm about to build. You're going to receive those blueprints very differently, aren't you? If we just look at God's word as just kind of a, a, a book full of old stories or inspiring literature or even some new facts about God that we didn't know, that's one thing. But if we see God's word as authority, as we, if we see it as the blueprint for our life, that based on what I'm reading here, this is going to change the entire way that I think, that I feel, that I act, how I live. That's a whole different thing. God's instructions that we are called to trust and, and obey. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we draw on this? He gives us a tree analogy to explain. He says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf doesn't wither and all that he does, he, he prospers. So notice what he says here. He says, it's like a tree. Now think about this metaphor for a minute. What does this look like? Well, he doesn't say he is like a pipe. Okay, a pipe, whatever goes into it is what comes out of it if it's clean, right? Uh, and so the idea there would be whatever comes in comes out. That's not what he says we are to be like. What comes in is information, right? What is, what, what's, but that should not be just simply what comes out the other end, the same exact thing. He doesn't say we're like a pipe. What he says is we're like a tree. And what happens, how does a tree, what happens when a tree draws water on one end? What comes out of the other end of the tree? Not just water, right? What, what comes out on the other end? It bears fruit, Right? The flesh of the fruit. It drew in the water and it, it, it presented fruit. This is what meditation is. One way to say it would be meditation is making the word become flesh. Fleshing out the truth of God that, that we are, are reading. It's, it's a beautiful concept. In other words, um, it's a principle that we're reading and now it becomes reality in our lives. So, so we ask the question, if this is true, if what God's revealing to me about himself, about myself, about my reality, if that's true, how does that change the, my marriage? How does that change the way that I go about my work? How does that change the habits that I'm forming, the choices that I'm making, the, the feelings that I'm feeling? It informs all of our lives as authority. So how do we do this? How do we meditate in it in a way that it comes out as, as fruit? Well, again, Keller has a, a helpful acronym, TAX. Um, and I want to just apply this to Psalm 1, a tool that we, you can use to help meditate on God's word. So the T in TAX stands for teaching. We always want to first ask, what's the author trying to say in this text? And we've said today, as we apply this to Psalm 1, that, that, that the psalmist wants to teach us about how to walk in the way that's, that's blessed, the good life. And he says the way we do that is by meditating on God's authoritative word. So that's the central idea. That's what he's teaching. But then from there, how do we flesh this out? Well, then the next letter is A. It's, it's to adore. Remember, we're responding to who God is as he's revealed himself. So we take, take a moment. And like that bee on the flower, we just, we just praise God for what we're seeing specifically about him in this passage. So we say, God, I, I'm, I want to praise you that you are worthy of meditating on. 
that, that you are worthy of my attention and my, my meditation, that, that God, you truly are. I want to thank you for giving me your word. Thank you that you have communicated. Thank you that you did initiate. You didn't just put us on this planet and we had to figure it out on our own, right? We thank God. We adore him. And then the, the next, the C is for confession. That as we often read, we see, man, this is not me, right? Like how often am I reading this passage? I'm going, I don't always take God's word as authoritative, a lot of times I take my word as authoritative, right? And I can be lazy, and I'm not practicing the discipline of being in his word. And I'm not, often I am not diligent to actually manifest that word into fruit in my life, to, to obey, trust and obey what he's saying to me, and confess that to God as I meditate on this. And, and then the, the S is supplication. It's a, a big Bible word for pray. Uh, requests, God, God, would you make me into a tree that truly draws from your waters and produces fruit. God, would you give me that desire to meditate on and put that into practice by your grace for your glory. We take time to meditate on what it is that we're reading. Then when does he say that we're supposed to do this? Well, verse 2 says, on his law, he meditates day and night. So that's it. Other than daytime and nighttime, we're not really supposed to meditate on God's word, right? So we, what do we see? Like all the time. Now, some of us could read that and go, man, I, I never meditate on his word. That, that's a big ask. Like, does that mean I literally need to go home and just read the Bible for the rest of the day and I ignore my kids and, and, and spouse and I don't go to work the next day? I, that's definitely not what I'm telling you to do. You're getting all sorts of trouble if you do that. So here, here's, what, here's one place that I would say to start. Um, we need to build habits. And as we do these, we, we, start, we start small. I, I think I... I think we are to value consistency over quantity. It's not just, well, I'm going to read for four hours tomorrow. Maybe it's starting five minutes. How can I start build the habit of five minutes a day in God's word? And if we find a consistent time where we're spending five minutes a day with the Lord in his word, listening and then meditating and responding, that five minutes can then grow into 10 minutes or 20 minutes. We start small and, and then allow it to, to grow over time. I've found for me, I need to build rhythms into my day. And sometimes it's using technology like reminder apps to, to me meditate on that scripture that I'm mem memorizing with my discipleship team or, or to, to take a pause before I enter into that hard situation or come home at the end of the day. I need to pray. I need to talk to my God, the gamut of emotions. And, and just to say there's grace here, no one's doing this perfect, right? That, that we are growing in this process. Um, that the, we're not doing these things just to make God happy. We know we all have different seasons of life. There's kids, life is chaotic. But it's called a discipline for a reason, right? We put it into, into practice. So uh, this, when do you draw on it? Day and night. And then finally, who do we draw on it with? Now, now notice here, uh, he wants to talk about not just what we're filling with our minds, but who, who is influencing what we're listening to, right? Look at what he says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the, the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of, of scoffers. So we're called to be in the world. We're called to build genuine relationships with friendship with those around us. We can't, we can't genuinely share our lives in the gospel without doing that. But what he is saying is give caution to who is influencing you. And the call here in the way of wisdom, the good life, is to surround ourselves with people who are also attempting to delight themselves in God's word, not make a mockery of it, not disregard it, 
as authority for their lives. We need that, right? Who we surround ourselves with matters. And remember, the Psalms are calling us into community to be this choir that's praising God together. God's word is going to shape his people. And listen, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's not just me and my quiet time with Jesus. We need to learn from each other, to teach one another. We need to live it out with one another and love one another informed by God's law. So this psalm is inviting us into an out loud conversation with God and others shaped around delighting in and meditating on his word. So next, he wants to look at the promise. If we do this, we draw on his word and produce it in our lives. What, what, what comes of this? What are the promises? Well, two promises we see here. The first one is that we will be rooted and not scattered. Rooted and not scattered. Again, to, to take this tree analogy a little bit further. Um, he says in, in verse 3, He is like a tree planted by streams of water. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff, chaff, I don't know, tomato, tomato, that the wind drives away. He says one is empty chaff that's blown away by the wind. The other one's planted and rooted. And so notice here what he's saying is this tree is not just rooted. It's rooted where? It's rooted by a stream, right? The tree is rooted by a stream. In other words, its circumstances don't matter. The the wind can come. The rain can come or not come. And, And this tree, if it has direct access to a lifeline of water... It can continue to be stable and to bloom. Now, remember where he's writing? They're in the Middle East, right? This is desert. So the only way a tree is going to flourish is if it's planted by a river, by a man-made canal. Water was scarce there. This is not Juneau. This is not Seattle, right? And and so what we see here is the author is acknowledging, man, we're going to face rough weather. In our lives, we're going to face the wind and the rain and the cold and the heat. And God's good path for us, listen, it doesn't mean that if we follow God, every day is going to be San Diego. He's calling us into the seasons. And I love Elizabeth Elliot, one of my favorite quotes. She says, joy is not the absence of trouble, but it's the presence of God. Joy, joy, God's promise isn't, man, you're never going to, in fact, what did Jesus say? You will have troubles in this world. That's the promise. But the joy comes by finding in the midst of our troubles the presence of God in our lives. So meditation is this gift that allows that to happen, to keep us in contact with the living streams of water of God himself, so that instead of being blown around like that empty shaft, that we would be, find ourselves rooted, not controlled by our circumstances, but stable in all seasons. That's the promise for the one who meditates on God's word. The second promise is that be, we'll experience growth and not withering. Growth and not withering. Verse 3, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And this is the promise for those, maybe if you're like me, you've followed Jesus for a while. Have, have we not experienced the seasons that feel fruitless, Right? Like, we, we feel those seasons, whether it's struggling with a particular sin that we just can't seem to, to beat, whether it's a lack of desire to be in his word, to, to talk to him, to be around his people. Like, we can develop this case of the blahs, where we're just kind of going through life, kind of drifting apathetically. Now, the tree experiences the same thing. All trees go through a season without fruit, Right? Um, in fact, fruitlessness is, is part of the expectation, right, seasonally for the tree, um, where you can look at the tree and you don't see any evidence of change. You don't see any evidence of growth. Maybe the tree is dead. 
But what we see is a tree doesn't stop growing, right? If it's connected to its lifeline. In the winter, the tree is, is actually putting its roots down in deeper. The tree is actually thickening so that when it's time to bear more fruit, it will bear more fruit, yield a greater harvest. So, so meditating, meditating doesn't mean that there will, be, there will never be droughts. That there will never be a time uh, when, when we, sometimes it just feels like our eyes are hitting the page, right? Like I'm reading God's word, but I can't even focus, let alone feel like I walked away encouraged or that joy of his presence. I'm not feeling that, right? But if we keep connected to our lifeline, it will eventually yield fruit. That's why it's called a discipline. We eat every day, right? Not when we're just feeling it. We know we need to eat to sustain our bodies, our physical bodies. We need to sleep to sustain us. We need to meditate in God's word, stay rooted in his word. And who is that fruit for, ultimately? You think about a tree, why is it bearing fruit? It doesn't eat its own fruit, right? It's not some weird tree cannibal, right? The, the tree is fruit is for others. And the same thing in our lives, that our fruit is to be, is to be, we're to bear fruit for the sake of others. When God grows us, when God takes us through dry seasons, it's to help us on the other end bear fruit for others. Remember what he says in 2 Corinthians? He says, man, you were comforted through a difficult season. Why? So that when somebody else is going through that difficult season, you can come alongside them and say, here's how God was faithful to me. Right? He uses those seasons to teach us so that we might bear fruit for the sake of others, for the glory of our God. The last point we want to look at, and we'll be done, is the puzzle. There's a puzzle here. What's this ultimately pointing to? Because I want to show of hands, how many of you, when you're reading the Bible, you're just like, man, every time I read it, like I, list, I, I hear a series of commands, I'm just like, yep, I'm crushing it. Like all of them. I'm, I'm keeping all those. Anybody just nailing it every single time? All right, good. I don't have to rebuke any liars in this building, right? So, so we know, if you're, if you're like me, man, I'm reading these things, and I'm going, I don't meditate on God's word like this day and night. I don't see it as authoritative all the time. In fact, when I'm reading it, I see how far I fall short. He says, blessed is the one who delights in it and who meditates on it, produces its fruit, trusts and obeys it. I'm going, that's not me. I, I rarely trust it, rarely obey it, right? In fact, the word of God often reveals my disobedience, my rebellion, my pride, my jealousy, all that stuff. And, that, and that's what Romans 3 says that God's law does, right? The law of God, he says in Romans, the law simply shows us how sinful we are. He, he says the law is like a mirror. And then we're looking in the mirror and we're seeing all sorts of, of spiritual boogers and zits and we got all sorts of problems, right? That's what the law is revealing to us. Get, a, get out those spiritual tweezers. Can I get a witness from the congregation, right? So what we see here is, that what, what, here's the puzzle then. What does it point us to? Like, like if, if the point is, I mean, here's what you're not doing, Right? So, so Psalms 1 and 2 serve as this prologue for the rest of the book of Psalms, the next 148 Psalms. And it's cool to see what, what the authors were doing here. Um, the, book, the, the, the prologue is setting us up for the story that the book of Psalms wants to tell us. In fact, the, the story that the Bible itself is trying to tell us. In Psalm 1, it's a meditation or a reflection on God's written word. That we see here, he says, blessed is the one who listens to God's word, who, who hears it and obeys it. That's the one who is blessed. So the beginning of, of Psalms here takes us back to the beginning of creation. Right? Remember in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, what happens? Just like at the beginning of Psalms, they, Adam and Eve were faced with a choice. Just like at Psalms 1, you can choose to listen to God's word and obey it, or you can choose to go your own rebellious way. That's the choice. And he says here to finish up Psalm, 
1, in verses 5 and 6, he shows where the end of those paths take you. Verse 5, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And he says, if you choose the counsel of the wicked, if you listen to the serpent's lies, it leads to death and judgment. You, you will not stand justified before God. You will not stand with his people. Or you can choose the word of God. You can choose to heed the call. Don't eat of that tree of the wisdom and of the, the knowledge of good and evil. Trust me to tell you what's right and wrong. Right? Be fruitful and, and multiply. And what you'll experience is a river of life flowing out of you. Goosh, 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 goosh. And we know the story, right? We know what happens. Adam and Eve... Do they listen? Do they obey? They don't. Neither do any of the humans that come after them, including you and I. And that's why Psalm 1 points us to Psalm 2. And Pastor Ross is going to take us through this next week. But, but what he says here, if Psalm 1 was a meditation on the, the written word of God, Psalm 2 is a meditation on the living word of God. And onto the scene comes the promised rescuer, the promised king, the Messiah himself right here in the prologue of, of Psalms. Because Adam and Eve, they chose to sin. They chose to listen to the serpent's lie. But right out of the gate, God promised one who would come and crush the head of that serpent that would defeat sin and death for Adam and Eve, for us, and deliver us. That There was only going to be one human ever that would truly be wise, that would truly listen to God and obey him. Only one who would always delight in God's word and do what it says. That man is spoken of in, in Hebrews 10. This is when Christ came into the world. He said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in Psalm 2, as it is written of me in the scroll of this book. You see, Jesus was the only one who, who came and said, not my will, but yours be done. I delight in you, God. I'm going to listen and obey. Psalm 1 charges us, says, blessed is the one who delights and meditates on God's law. That's none of us. So it leads us to what the call is of who's blessed in Psalm 2. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in the king. We have sinned. We have not listened. We have not, we have not trusted and not obeyed his word. And so we are called to take refuge in the one who did. The one who said, not my will, but yours be done all the way to Calvary. What did we say earlier? When we hear the words of God and we obey them, put them into practice, it's his word becoming flesh. And who is Jesus? He's the word that became flesh. He's the embodiment of God himself and what it looks like to trust and obey the Father. This is how we read the Psalms, brothers and sisters, the wisdom Psalms. That we read them and we see this call for how to live. And we acknowledge, we confess, I don't live this way. I, I, and, I, and on my own, I can't. But there was one who came and lived the life that I couldn't live, that obeyed God in a way that I never did and never could. All the way to dying on the cross to pay for that wrong living, the foolish living that I, that I had lived. But it doesn't stop there. If we just look and say, I, I can't live this way that the wisdom psalms are calling me, calling me to, and Jesus did, right? He paid for my price. That's, that's true. That's part of the gospel. But the rest of the gospel is that three days later, he rose from the dead, amen? And that, that Jesus is alive. And not only is he alive, but he enters into those who place their trust in him. And now, in Christ, we are able to live out these wisdom psalms that we can do. We can listen to God. In, and we can trust our God. We can obey our God in Christ. And so the puzzle of Psalm 1 leads us to the answer of Jesus. 
That the wisdom psalms, just like every psalm, just like every word in our Bible, point us to the person of Jesus. Our call is to meditate on, like the bear with that salmon, to delight in, to feast upon Jesus Christ, his flesh and blood given to us, to delight in him. And what we'll find, if we put our roots in Jesus by faith, we're going to become trees that regardless of the season, regardless of our circumstances, we will bear fruit by the grace of our God to the glory of our God. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this good, good word today. We, we thank you. We, del- we, we delight in your word as you've called us to do. We thank you that you initiated, that you not only created us, but then, then informed us about who you are and the reality we live in. But Father, we also, we, we adore you for that, but we also confess that we did not respond rightly. Like Adam and Eve, we did not trust you. We did not obey you. We went our own way, trying to do our own thing. But Father, we see in, in your word this morning You knew that was coming, and you sent the snake crusher for us, that Jesus lived the wise life, the good life, trusting and obeying you, and that, Father, now in him, we can experience uh, how to walk in your ways. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room today, uh, that you would form the desires in our hearts, and out of that desire, form the habits of our heart, that that want to meditate on your word, that want to hear you, want to see you and respond rightly, not just taking in information, but that, that would become flesh in our lives, that we would practice what's being preached, what we're hearing, that it would shape the way that we live, the way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we feel, that we would come to you with our full emotion, and, and that in Christ we would be able to bear good fruit by your grace and, and for your glory. Thank you for your word, Father. May we be people who hear it, and trust it and obey it. It's in your son's beautiful name that all God's people said, Amen. Amen.